Thank you so much. Very good morning, everyone. I'm Chris Gordon, Management Committee Member of One People SG, and it's a privilege to be your moderator for today's dialogue session. Now, thank, as you heard from the earlier presentation from Dr. Matthews, I thought that was really very good. Um, while Singaporeans in general believe we have overall very good state of racial religious harmony in Singapore, and this is one area where Singapore we can take great pride in. He also mentioned that there's a sense that we still have some way to go, and there are some gaps that we need to address, especially, I think, as he mentioned, in the workplace realm. And in particular, addressing some of the challenges faced by minorities in areas like hiring, job promotion, and instances of racial discrimination or microaggressions at the workplace. And in some instances, they could be real cases of discrimination, or in some instances, as Dr. Matthews alluded to, it could be perceived uh, instances of uh, discrimination. So today, I think uh, to help us unpack and go deeper into some of these issues which uh, Dr. Matthews alluded to in his presentation, we have with us three very distinguished uh, panelists. So I thank them for their time. And first up, we have Mr. Shamil Zainuddin. Shamil is a research associate in the Society and Culture Department at the Institute of Policy Studies, and he specializes in the area of applied ethnography. Now, prior to joining IPS, he worked in a global enterprise technology company where he used qualitative methods researching human experiences to inform R&D, innovation, and marketing. Now, before today's session, I had a brief chat with Shamil and was really inspired by how he uses uh, you know, his uh, stories and experiences to convey his points in a very vivid manner. And I think later on, he'll be able to unpack and give greater depth and texture to some of the uh, points which uh, Dr. Matthews had made earlier. Welcome, Shamil. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Now, our second panelist, you'll see her on the screen shortly. Uh, she's Faith Lee, General Manager of the Tripartite Alliance for Fair and Progressive Employment Practices. Now, some of you will be familiar with the work that TAFEP does in promoting the adoption of fair, responsible, and progressive employment practices. And as you all know, TAFEP also works very closely with MOM, Ministry of Manpower, to uh, ensure employers adhere to the tripartite guidelines and also to the Fair Consideration Framework, or FCF. Now, I happen to know Faith from almost a decade back when we were both doing policy work in Ministry of Manpower, and uh, it's quite amazing to see the very good work that she and her team in TAFEP are doing now. Now, actually, Faith was supposed to have joined us in person here today together with our other two panellists, uh, but unfortunately, she had a minor medical mishap, so she wasn't able to travel down on-site. But I think we're really grateful that despite that, she still uh, is able to dial in virtually to contribute to today's panel discussion. And we look forward to hearing uh, Faith's, Faith's uh, sharing and views later. Hi, Faith. Hey, good morning, Chris, and thank you for having me today. And thanks to the IPS and uh, One People SG colleagues for arranging for me to dial in. Thanks so much, Faith. We look forward to hearing your views later. Finally, our third panelist, Mr. Victor Mills, Chief Executive of the Singapore International Chamber of Commerce, which he has led for over seven years. Now, Victor has lived and worked in Singapore for over 37 years and is a proud citizen of Singapore. And prior to joining the Chamber, uh, Victor has had a 30-year career in financial services. So he's been both in the private sector and then now doing uh, work in the chamber. Now, Victor also sits on a number of national boards and advisory panels, so he contributes greatly uh, you know, to, to various committees. 
Now, I had a chance to uh, speak to Victor. Uh, we were working on some, uh, inter uh, uh, some project and collaboration over the past year. And every time I meet him, I'm very impressed by uh, you know, his strong sense of conviction, passion, and that sense of purpose and mission to wanting to build a better Singapore. Welcome, Victor. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here, and I appreciate the invitation to participate. Thank you. Thanks. Look forward to hearing your views later as well. Now, I'll shortly invite our three panelists to give their opening remarks. After that, uh, we will turn the time over to you, our audience members, uh, to raise your questions or to make your comments. First up, I would like to invite Shamil to share his opening remarks. Shamil, please. Well, thank you, Chris and OPSG, for having me. As the survey by Matthew and Tim indicates, Singapore, Singaporeans are proud of our racial harmony. Uh, it's indeed something that I'm very proud of as well. Um, it should be celebrated, uh, guarded, and, and nourished. Uh, unfortunately, the survey also suggests that a sizable proportion of our minorities feel discriminated uh, in areas such as uh, job application, hiring, uh, promotion, and even reporting. Um, as in the wary of reporting such issues. Uh, today, I will try to add texture uh, to the figures Matthew has presented and reveal the human uh, stories behind the numbers, as it were. Uh, albeit rather briefly, because you know I don't have much time. Um, and no, I was not involved in those projects. Uh, he cited, but many of the qualitative findings in my own previous and uh, ongoing projects somewhat echo uh, what he has found in this, uh, his quantitative uh, surveys. Um, while minorities we interviewed uh, and observed rarely cited overt acts of racism, uh, what they often share are the everyday, seemingly minor, uh, often unintentional, um, but negative nonetheless, acts by people which have become commonplace in some workplace cultures. Uh, some of these are referred to as microaggressions. The, is the issue is that if it happens one day, uh, perhaps you can brush it off, right? Um, but if you witness or experience it, you know, a few times a month, uh, over years, over decades, uh, it, it, it starts to get a bit more familiar, a bit too familiar, right? It creates a, a perception. Uh, it becomes a daily reminder that you are a minority in this country and being disadvantaged is just, you know, part of the name of the game. Uh, which is not a pleasant pill to swallow, especially when we confront it with our generally shared belief of meritocracy and multiculturalism. Uh, it is one thing to be a minority uh, because of numbers, but it is another thing to feel like a minority, right? One thing to be a minority by numbers, but another thing to feel like one, uh, to feel disadvantaged, to be othered. Uh, to not be a part of, uh, of something. Um, whether or not this is truly, uh, whether or not one is truly disadvantaged, right, is not the point here, actually. Uh, as sociologists would say, uh, whether or not something is real or not, is, is, uh, it, it sometimes doesn't matter. What matters is that people believe in it uh, and act upon that belief, right? Um, and and, and that, those things have consequences, right? Uh, the, for example, one might change their name, right, to, to sort of uh, fit in. Uh, so, and, and or if you sort of believe in stereotypes, uh, that will have another impact. It might have an impact, for example, in terms of uh, hiring somebody. You know, in, in this case, I would really recommend talking to um, math tutors or math uh, tuition teachers who happen uh, to be Malays. And, and, and the challenges they face actually with, uh, for example, finding uh, Chinese uh, customers. Um, and, and, and you'll get a lot of uh, sort of really textured answers and, and, uh, about their challenges. Um, 
you know, in the interest of time, I will kind of deconstruct the uh, workplace experience using a basic uh, pre and during uh, kind of framework, highlighting some challenges faced in, uh, in the different stages. Now, and uh, with regard to before even uh, joining the job, right, you're looking for a job. Now, what a lot of participants actually talk about is uh, are those the job ads, right? Bilingual, bilingual speakers uh, looking for bilingual speakers. Now, the interesting thing here is we all know what bilingual speakers are, right? We all know what bilingual speakers mean, right? And it is not uh, Tamil and English, definitely. Right? We all know what it means, and, and you know, what I said earlier, right? what familiarity, commonplace, right? we, we know, even without someone telling you what it actually means, you already know. Right? Um, another thing is about presentation of self. Right? Before you go for a job, you need to send your CV, and here I'd like to point out the excellent, uh, excellent documentary actually uh, on CNA and by OPSG, uh, SMS Journal being the host, uh, talking about those things really in a very... Uh, in a rather, I would say, rather brave manner um, about the, the resumes, for example, right? So presentation of self, and here we have a gendered element as well. Does one, for example, a Muslim woman wearing a tudong uh, actually show a picture uh, of herself, right, or not, right? Should we be overt, should we be covert, right? Should we be overt with regard to, you know, so that we don't face disappointment during uh, interviews later on, uh, or covert and, and sort of take the chance and uh, get your foot through the door first? and then face the interview and see how um, it goes. Um, another one is about names, right? Uh, is another very interesting area that is commonly uh, brought up names. You know, many people change their names, right? To sort of, uh, for example, to get more customers, to sound ambiguous, right? Uh, uh, for example, um, you know, change the name from, uh, like for the Adam or Adam, right? To, to sound a bit more ambiguous, to make it easier for someone to, to sort of pronounce your, your, your name um, after a while. And, and this sort of reinforces the idea of the ever accommodating uh, minority, right? Accommodating to uh, the context. Now, when you get hired, another commonly uh, cited issue uh, by participants is about language at the workplace, right? Again, this, asks, this might seem minor to people, right? But over years, right, what does it reinforce? What, what, what does it sort of perpetuate? Uh, it, it's something that we need to sort of uh, address, right? Language at the workplace, for example, you'll be having an informal or formal meeting, right? And suddenly someone breaks out in um, a different language, a language that you do not understand. And, you know, some minorities in this room probably might have faced that as well. Um, and no one translates it for you, right? Some, sometimes it's a joke or, or proverb, right, in, uh, in Mandarin and, 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 or, or Hindi increasingly. Uh, and no one really translates it for you. What you feel is like you're this outside group. You're not a part of, uh, of that particular group, even though you're in the office, even though these are colleagues that you work with every single day. Another one is, you know, uh, for example, thinking that uh, making fun not so much making fun, but you know, using accents, for example, uh, of uh, a particular ethnic group um, to sort of, uh, to, to perhaps to appear relatable. Um, but obviously, it is uh, something that doesn't fall uh, uh, very positively, right? But as, as, uh, as, as minorities, we learn to laugh, right? We learn to laugh at jokes that probably are not funny. Uh, but we learn to laugh so that we be accepted. Because what if you don't, right? What if, you, uh, what if the other side, which is you might appear to be fun, uh, fussy, or, uh, more a difficult uh, minority, right? Interestingly, if you, if you study even gender studies, right, these are things that have been uh, applied to women as well, right? Oh, you're too sensitive, you're too uh, difficult, right? And, and, and it, it's quite interesting how it goes on to different minority groups. Um, now, how about provision of uh, religious needs? 
this is another uh, this is another issue, right? For example, in terms of uh, prayer spaces or or halal halal food, right? Again, not to appear difficult. So you would try to, for example, find a place to, to, to pray in the stairwell or maybe exclude yourself from an important a formal meeting or informal meeting at, the, at, a, at a bar or whatever, right? Um, I mean, to conclude, right? Like, let me describe this way. Let me describe the issue to you in a different way to conclude. And to confess my vested interest in this, yes, I'm a minority. Uh, and as a father of uh, two minority children, aged three and three months, a uh, boy and a girl, uh, my wish is for them to be able to live a pleasant life and to work hard to make life pleasant for others. Um, and this means uh, that the environment that they live in, which shapes their everyday lived experience, matter a lot. Uh, this includes the work, work process and environment. Um, there are still ways we can improve a nation to make life more pleasant and inclusive for everybody. And we have seen multiple example strategies uh, used by companies, individuals. I will not go through the entire list of uh, best practices, but some include, for example, having um, uh, DNI uh, IC, uh, diversity and inclusion IC, uh, during onboarding, for example, to talk about the different cultural sensitivities of the particular company. Um, another one um, includes uh, some Job ads, uh, job, job ad sites basically, um, who have uh, took it upon themselves to take the applications or CVs of uh, minorities and take out all the different uh, cultural identifiers in there and pass it over to the uh, potential employers, right? And, and, and lastly, this uh, ground-up initiatives also. In some companies, you know, I've seen some that were very inspirational without wait waiting for policies to sort of uh, happen. Workers themselves, uh, they sort of uh, decide what, is, what they feel should happen in the company. For example, I've heard of uh, property companies, online property companies who, who decided uh, on their own that you know, having ads online that say that, um, uh, that we do not want any Indians, for example, to rent uh, property to Indian uh, uh, community, um, as being something that they do not want on their website. And they brace it up to their boss to say that this is not something that is Singaporean, it's against our values, and can we create some kind of code to sort of relegate such uh, ads online. And, you know, and with that, I'd like to just end with uh, just some questions also. You know, what kind of values you want your own, uh, you want your own organization to have, right? And you know, look around, is there a reason why your company is or is not diverse? And how do you feel about it? And on that note, thank you very much. Thank you, Shamil. And <laughs> thanks, Shamil. And I think uh, he really helped add a lot of uh, depth and texture to some of the points that uh, Matthews mentioned earlier, going deeper into some of these real stories that I encountered on the ground. I think some of you in the audience may have encountered these stories yourself or even heard of people who have encountered these stories. Thanks, Shamil. Now we move on to uh, faith. And uh, Faith, uh, uh, you know, being in Tafet, I think uh, uh, you would also have uh, encountered, you know, some of these uh, data and studies uh, uh, on, on your own. You might run your own uh, uh, surveys and studies also on the situation. And uh, I, I think that's where it would be helpful on your end if you could uh, share with us what's the assessment of the situation that you have at Tafet and also to share with us a little bit about the uh, work that you do at Tafet uh, in this particular space of trying to engender better workplace diversity. Over to you, Faith. Hey, thank you, Chris. Um, just for those who may not be familiar with TAFAP, actually, for we, we serve two roles. So for employers, TAFAP is the go-to for uh, resources, workshops, clinics on fair and progressive employment practices. 
But of course, there's a minority of employers who get subject to TAFEP scrutiny and investigations. Uh, for employees, TAFEP is really the go-to for those who have experienced workplace discrimination, harassment, or other unprogressive employment practices. So really hearing from Dr. Matthew's excellent presentation just now, I thought to highlight three related points. Uh, the first is that uh, racial discrimination at the workplace, and in fact, actually all forms of workplace discrimination, is something that needs to be taken seriously and addressed. To put this in context, um, the Ministry of Manpower also ran their uh, Fair Employment Practices Survey in 2021 and it showed that the incidence of workplace discrimination in general is low. So about 8% of resident employees experience discrimination at the workplace. Um, of the workplace discrimination reports that TAFET receives on average every year, um, discrimination on the grounds of race form about 10% of the cases. Actually, the majority of those that we receive are actually nationality-related uh, complaints. But that said, actually, in our multiracial and multicultural country, any instance of workplace discrimination on the basis of race is cause for concern. And we all have a part to play to address and tackle this. Which brings me to my second point, that employers really have a key role in building an inclusive workplace. So starting from hiring fairly, what, what you all said just now, hiring fairly, addressing workplace grievances for those who are already in employment, and building a culture of trust and respect in the workplace. Uh, at Tafet, we see three common gaps. So the first is lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge of the tripartite guidelines. So rather than hiring based on merit, individuals who are not familiar with the guidelines may post job advertisements that contain discriminatory elements. You may also have seen job ads, and I think um, it was raised earlier, that um, contain a language requirement, but really no explanation as to why the language proficiency is necessary for the role. Uh, the second is a lack of clear and sensitive comms. Uh, hiring managers in the interviews may make irrelevant remarks, ask irrelevant questions about the job seeker's background during interviews, and cause them to feel discriminated against. And the last is a lack of formalized processes and practices. In the recent CNA Regardless of Race episode, um, implicit bias was discussed, and we call it unconscious bias. Essentially, it refers to the mental shortcuts that the brain develops in order to process information and make decisions quickly. So, for example, hiring managers sifting through a thick stack of resumes and their bosses are chasing them to hire, right, may result to scanning them for specific keywords and phrases that validate their assumptions. Others may be filling a role that maybe legitimately requires Mandarin language proficiency, but then they assume all Chinese can speak Mandarin and all minorities can't. And then they start filtering applicants based on name rather than checking on their actual language skills. That's why having a structured hiring process that focuses objectively on the person's ability, skills, experience to do the job is more important. It allows employers to avoid all these unconscious bias to the extent possible, right, from affecting the recruitment process. Uh, a diverse interview panel also helps. The other key process, and this is more for in-employment, is a grievance handling process. Employers need to provide a safe environment for their employees to raise their concerns and also handle the grievances that are raised in a prompt, confidential manner that is fair to all parties. It's also a channel for employers to explain their policies and rationale for actions and decisions to the, employers who are, to the employees who are already in your organization. We have seen that where there is no proper grievance handling process or where there is no trust that the grievance handling process works, employees then turn to other channels or even social media to air their grievances instead. Uh, so the mum study that I, I referred to earlier, 
uh, showed that one in two employers have formal procedures to manage workplace discrimination. This is a start, but really 50%, we can really do much better than that. So these are all pitfalls that we have seen uh, and actually can be avoided early and upfront. So for employers, please take full advantage of Tarpet's resources to get your practices right upstream. Lastly, <clears throat> employees and workers. As colleagues, as supervisors, as line managers ourselves, our own individual behaviours can make a difference in enabling an inclusive workplace where everyone is treated with respect. Discriminatory behaviour can start off in subtle ways, like microaggressions, but if left unchecked, really can become the norm. And we all have unconscious bias, and we should not allow them to affect how we treat others. Also, uh, really use a language that everyone understands in your interactions in meetings. It's also important that employees know um, where to report workplace discrimination, racial or otherwise, and where to seek assistance and advice. For those who have a grievance handling process in place in your company, make use of that. And I think we saw that in the survey as well. Otherwise, come to TAFEP. This can really make a difference in how the issue is looked into and resolved, such that everyone can maintain harmony, such that everyone understands each other and where there are gaps and where there are issues that need to be addressed, these are addressed properly. So for us at TAFEP, actually we help in all three areas, addressing workplace discrimination, helping employers, helping employees. So that's, I think, where it makes our work at TAFEP really quite meaningful. So I'll stop here and I look forward to a good dialogue with all of you later. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Faith. Thank you, Faith. And I think she brings up uh, many interesting points. She talks about how uh, very often misunderstandings happen because of poor communication between employer and employee. Uh, she also spoke about how it's important for companies to look at things like grievance uh, handling processes in, the, in, in, in their companies and also uh, areas like uh, uh, being aware if you know, we have implicit unconscious biases. So I think later on during the Q&A, it would be good if we can explore, go deeper in depth into some of these issues which uh, Faith uh, Shamil also uh, earlier pointed out. Now, we move on and our third final panellist today, Victor Mills. Victor, over to you. Thanks, Chris. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we all agree that diversity is a given. And diversity is not our problem. But being inclusive of it, leveraging it, is where we sometimes have challenges. And leveraging our diversity and being inclusive of it is the way businesses can avoid groupthink, make good decisions, and progress. And of course, it's not just race as, as a, a diverse focus. It's age, uh, it's nationality. We have huge problems in the workplace with ageism. Um, Anybody over 40 who gets retrenched or loses their job through no fault of their own finds it hard to get back in the workplace. Anybody over 50 has even more problems. It shouldn't be like that. Employers should be looking to employ people based on their attitude, their character, and their potential, not their age or their race or their gender. If you look at company boards, listed company boards, we have an embarrassing lack of gender diversity on company boards, which is actually a national disgrace and very embarrassing for a mature, developed economy like ours. So there's plenty of work to do. 
In terms of big challenges we face, in recent years, the quality of social discourse has become coarser as more people abuse social media and feel that they can say what they want and get away with it because, of course, the platforms uh, don't have enough regulation or oversight to compensate for bad language, uh, bad manners, and hatred, and bigotry, and all the rest of it. So we need to watch that social discourse, and we need to think very carefully that where there is a workplace dispute, the first thing people should do is not recourse to social media. It's to use the remediation avenues available in a company, and if they don't work, or if they don't exist, go straight to Faith and her colleagues in TAFEP. Work is a collaboration. It has to be maintained by trust, and mouthing off on social media ruins and destroys trust, burns bridges that we can ill afford to burn. So what's the solution to all the problems that people face? Because people do face discrimination, and they will always face discrimination because we humans are imperfect. I think the first thing that we can all agree is that we need to recognize, irrespective of our background, our race, our religion, we're all members of the same human race. We all have the same anatomy. And I think we need to start from that premise. Too often, I think, in Singapore, we inadvertently overemphasize our differences instead of celebrating them and emphasizing what we have in common. The big solution I would like to offer for your consideration is every company should be encouraged to develop a positive workplace culture, one in which no one is abused, bullied, discriminated against because of their age or their gender or their race or their sexual orientation when it comes to hiring or promotion one where no one is sexually abused or in any other sense undermined. And if they are, there are mechanisms to report these abuses and there are penalties for non-compliance that are used irrespective of the seniority of the individual that has caused the problems or his or her revenue-generating ability. It's a tough ask, but we can do it if we put our minds to it. Just think of how much change we've all processed over the last couple of years thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. Admittedly, all that change was imposed on us, but it reminds us we can change when we have to, and we can also change when we can see the benefits to us. Everybody in this room, everybody in Singapore, will say that we want a more equal society, a more just society, so surely that's something worth changing for. So how does positive workplace culture actually come about? It starts at the top, like every other change process. So the board, the senior leadership team, needs to decide what values a company is going to stand up for that meets their regulatory and legal obligations, but also their societal obligations to provide a safe and happy work environment. Once they've got the values sorted, they then think about the behaviors that demonstrate those values, that every employee, irrespective of seniority, 
is, will be expected to consistently practice. Then they share these behaviors and the values with their teams and split level meetings to make sure they, the senior leadership team and the board, haven't inadvertently forgotten something that's important to the teams in the business. Once that's all been sorted out, the agreed final behaviors are rolled out, they form part of everybody's KPI, and people have mechanisms to report those that don't live up to those behaviors, and that those penalties are then imposed. This is how we can make real workplace and societal progress, because most of us spend much of our time, or most of our time, at work. If you're happy at work, your home life is likely to be happy. You're more likely to treat your loved ones well. You're more likely to treat the people in your community with the same degree of respect that we all expect others to provide to us. So positive workplace culture is not easy to do. It requires two big mindset changes. One from employees who have to realize that irrespective of their role, they have a duty to co-create and co-sustain a happy, satisfied, safe environment for themselves and for everybody else. So people need to step up and accept responsibility. Equally, boards have got to accept their responsibility to ensure that a company has those values and desired behaviors in place and that the penalties for non-compliance work. So it's hard to do, but it's not impossible. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. And I, I like that he ended on that uh, very upbeat tone on talking about how we can aspire to better values uh, as a society, as a country, and how he also spoke about uh, you know, uh, building this element of positive workplace culture where everyone can come together, aspire towards. And really, it's not just purely about race, nationality, or you know, uh, it, but really it goes broader to a broader suite of areas we need to look at to be more all-encompassing. Thanks so much, Victor, for that. Now, as mentioned earlier, we will now move to the dialogue proper where we would like to invite you, our audience members, to share your thoughts or to pose a question to our panellists. We have, I think, about half an hour or so, yes, about half an hour or so for the dialogue session. So please raise your hand uh, or feel free to approach the microphones if you are interested to speak or ask a question. Uh, wait for my cue. And uh, before asking your question, uh, we would like to ask you to introduce your name and your organization and then uh, proceed to ask your question. Now, you can either uh, feel free to direct your question to a particular panelist if it's a specific question, or if you have a broader question, you can also pose it to our entire panel. The floor is open. As usual with the dialogue sessions, <laughs> it typically takes a while for the audience to warm up. Oh, we have, okay. Uh, the gentleman there, and I think there was another gentleman there as well. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. <coughs> Hi, I'm Mark from Emmanuel Assembly of God. Hi, Mark. Uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Matthew as well as the panelists for sharing the thoughts. Uh, just one question whether in terms of the discrimination, has there been a study uh, made whether the discrimination is happening in uh, certain industries? It's happening more in specific industries uh, is there some study done on that? Thank you. 
Okay, thank you, Mark. A very good question. I think he was talking about discrimination uh, in particular industries, whether it seems like particular industries, uh, the situation's a bit worse. I think for this, uh, probably get uh, Faith and uh, Victor to kick us off, because I think in their experiences, they may be able to address that point. Then later on, Shamil can add on as well with his own experiences from IPS. Uh, Faith, maybe you can kick us off. Thank you for the question. Actually, um, discriminatory practices happen across the board, um, be it big company, small company, uh, uh, across sectors. So really, it comes down to what does the company stand for? Uh, what are their practices as an individual company and how it is implemented on the ground? Um, for SMEs, sometimes it's about having a very lean uh, HR team or a HR team that actually does other forms of administration. And therefore, the knowledge and, and why is it just now? Knowledge and processes are not in place. And that causes some of the, the, the practices or processes that are, are, are seen as discriminatory. Um, but in big companies as well, sometimes it's not the HR. Sometimes the processes are in place. But really at the line manager level, at the hiring manager level, that's where um, insensitive remarks are made. Um, um, there's pre-selection. Um, so these are things that we watch out for. And, and I would say across the board, um, not that it's prevalent, but I don't think we can pin down a specific sector or specific company size when it comes to um, practices that could actually be better. Lah. Yeah. Ken, thank you, Faith. Uh, Victor, maybe you can build on it. I don't know whether, you know, through your work, when you interact with companies, um, uh, anecdotally, people share that, you know, the problem might be worse in particular industries for various reasons. So it might be good to sort of uh, help build on that as well. Sure. I mean, I, I agree with, with Faith that um, because we're all imperfect humans, uh, discrimination is across the board, right? Large, small, local, foreign businesses, it doesn't matter. Um, of course, the, the sort of high-profile cases that cause lots of attention in the press and social media um, in recent years have, of course, been in IT and in financial services. But, of course, not all IT companies, not all financial services companies. And I think it's important to keep a sense of proportion. Um, faith is absolutely spot on. Even where there are good policies and procedures in place, it is down to that hiring manager uh, to make sure that he or she acts with integrity and abides by those policies and procedures. Um, and this is where in positive workplace culture, um, it's really an additional responsibility of HR, people managers, the senior leadership team. They've got to walk the talk consistently. They've got to treat their teams in alignment with their values and the expected behaviors. And they've also got to make sure that they do not tolerate any deviation from policies and procedures that are meant to protect uh, the company and enable it to acquire the right talent for the right job. Thank you, Victor. Shamil, would you want to add on to that? Right. Um, thank you. Um, totally agree with the fact that, you know, when we see discrimination, it goes into uh, all different industries, right? Um, but also through, through interviews and uh, when we go really on in-depth in and nuanced kind of uh, research, right, we, we kind of find sometimes it is usually in the 
for example, for hijab-wearing women again, right? Uh, it is usually customer-facing uh, kind of uh, jobs. Uh, sometimes some companies feel, you know, a certain image they would like to project or, or to, to sort of uh, customers. And, and perhaps some uh, people using the hijab uh, might not fit that kind of image that they would like to project in terms of uh, the branding or, and, and whatnot, right? So I do hear quite a lot uh, um, of those kind of uh, examples, actually, when we interview uh, our, our people. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Shamil. And thanks, Mark, for that great question. Thank you. Uh, we have another question from the gentleman at the back. Hello, good morning, everybody. I'm Nasir Ghani from the Nagur Darga Indian Muslim Heritage Center. Hi, Nasir. Uh, Hello. I was uh, reading through the surveys that you have uh, conducted. I'm keen to know that in organizations where the lead organization is hammed by the minorities, for example, let's take uh, Mustafa Center, right? is held by a minority successful businessman, and there are workers there who may be from the majority race. How do they perceive discrimination there? Is it based on meritocracy? I'd like to know in the sense that were there any surveys done, for example, in institutions or job places in Little India, where the majority races are being hired, do they see meritocracy being held, or is it still based on racial line? So, because we tend to think of always the majority days where uh, the minorities feel discriminated, but I'd like to see conversely how it takes place where the uh, minorities are helming the businesses with the majority being felt. How do they feel? So, that's my question. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nasir. That's actually a very great question, flipping it around. And I think it's a very real question as well, because there are these companies. Maybe we can start off with uh, Shamil first. Then we move on to Faith, and then after that, Victor. Shamil? Yeah, um, with regard to that question, I think it's an excellent question, right? Um, you know, obviously, minorities are not immune also to so-called discriminate uh, against others. But if you look at, for example, the majority of our businesses around, right, that's why there is this perception uh, faced by minorities that they've been discriminated. Sure, there are also, you know, um, in terms of proportion, right, the businesses owned by uh, minorities. and and they may or may not uh, also practice some discriminatory uh, practices. But it's because of the so-called the majority uh, that there is this feeling of uh, or perception among minorities uh, um, that they face that way, but um, that they sort of uh, think that way. Uh, but yeah, it would be actually an interesting sort of uh, research to sort of conduct actually to, to, to actually see how uh, minority companies actually uh, um, practice or not uh, discriminatory practices. Thank you. Thanks, Shamil. So, Faith, over to you. I think that that's a very good question by Nasir, right? Where, uh, you know, typically people think it's like the majority race uh, is the one that runs the SME, and what are the challenges that the minorities working in this SME will face? Much like what you mentioned earlier, right? You alluded earlier too about the uh, uh, HR practices. Sometimes they have lean HR teams. They're not able to communicate their decisions well enough, etc. Um, so, flipping it uh, the other way, do you come across cases where the, uh, the SME is owned by someone of a minority race and they have a lot of, uh, say, people of the majority race working with them? And what are some of the dynamics there that uh, you may have observed or, you know, Tafet may have received some of these uh, cases of uh, complaints about perceived discrimination, etc.? Yeah, thanks, thanks for that question. It's an interesting exercise, even though um, there may not have been real cases reported about what, what it means when, when it's a majority uh, individual, uh, majority race individual working for a company that's helmed by someone of the minority race, which is why I think we go, always go back to, to the point that 
if we have an inclusive workplace culture, um, if we want to make sure that everyone is well integrated um, and fits well into the company and is really um, giving off their best to the company and, and being engaged, then really these things may not come into play as much. Really, if everyone is able to um, feel like they fit in well, that they are included, uh, that they are promoted, uh, recognized based on their contributions, uh, then, then actually who helms the company um, should not uh, make a difference as to whether or not someone at, at the worker level uh, uh, feels, feels like they're majority or minority. Uh. So I think that that was something that I thought was important to highlight. Um, the other one is that um, actually it makes sense for any company uh, helmed by whatever race um, to, to build a culture where everyone feels like they belong. Um, this is good for business. Uh, it helps employees feel engaged. Um, it allows for better interactions uh, between workers. Lah. So I, I, I think we come from the angle rather than to say, you know, uh, if a minority uh, helms a, a, a company, what the scenarios are, but really that if at the top, um, at the top, uh, the, 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 the expectation set is that uh, we need to be inclusive. Uh, being inclusive means that it's good for business, uh, good for my company. Uh, then it filters down and really, then that differentiation may not um, be such an important consideration anymore. Thank you, Faith, for that. And uh, very good, I think, uh, uh, responses from both Faith and Shamil. And Victor, I was wondering if you could add on to that as well. And in particular, maybe, you know, given your role, um, do you feel uh, chambers like yourself uh, or other associations can do more to reach out to some of these companies to build, you know, that culture of what you mentioned, PwC, positive workplace culture? Well, you know, I'm always, I'm always nervous of... of um claiming that chambers can do a lot. There's a lot of people in this country that think chambers can, but of course we can't. We can advocate, we can explain, we can encourage, but ultimately it's down to each business. And I, I agree with Faith that it shouldn't matter who helms a business. Uh, and the fact that we, we, have, we have this concern or we have the question shows us how far we've got to go. It shouldn't matter. The issue is one of being inclusive and leveraging the skills and the abilities of everybody in that organization. That is how a, a business grows and sustains itself, becomes and stays commercially viable and successful. And it can only do that by allowing everybody to be themselves and bring their true selves to work. And I think that, to me, is the key. Thank you so much, Victor. And thanks, Nasir, for that wonderful question. Um, yes, we have uh, okay, a couple of folks. Uh, there's a gentleman there first. Then after that, I'll go to the gentleman in green and the lady. Uh, the gentleman at the back. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Wei Bin from Keong Youth Network. I'm a youth grassroots leader there. So um, thank you all for the sharing about, uh, I think there's a lot of talk about uh, discrimination in the workplace. But maybe I can just draw the attention to discrimination in uh, education, in schools, actually. Because I think that uh, if it can happen in the workplace, it can also happen in schools, in education. 
I mean, if it is unavoidable, it will happen. So what do you say to um, students actually, who actually experience discrimination in school, whether it's from their fellow schoolmates or even from the educators themselves? And a lot of these times, I think the discrimination is very casual discrimination. So uh, I think at the start, uh, the, the, the sharing from Matthew is actually, uh, there was actually one segment where uh, it mentioned that a lot of people do not report discrimination because they cannot prove that discrimination has happened. So what do you say to people who feel that way? Thank you. Thank you so much for that great question. So I think really, uh, it's going more to schools. Technically, a school is a form of a workplace, well, for teachers, right? So it's a form of a workplace. But I think he, he mentions that uh, in, in schools, uh, that the discrimination, I think, if it happens, can be quite impactful because it happens to kids when they observe these instances. And sometimes these experiences can scar them. So um, look forward to hearing from our panel members. Maybe we start off with uh, Victor, Faith, and then uh, Shamil. And feel free to share from your own personal experiences as parents as well. Okay. Um, I mean, discrimination can happen everywhere, uh, in schools, on the train, on the bus. I mean, it's a fact of life. Um, and this is why I think it's so important that uh, one of the core life skills that should be taught in primary schools, secondary schools, and institutes of higher learning is the ability to see the person, not the externals of race or a particular community. That, that's, that's the key. And it goes back to the point I made earlier in my own remarks about seeing the human first. We're all human beings, we're all imperfect. And if we can accept that with a degree of humility, it will solve a lot of issues. But where, where discrimination arises, it should never be brushed under the carpet. And it's encouraging to hear from Dr. Matthews' surveys that more people are raising these issues. They're no longer prepared to just ignore them. Why should they? And there should be mechanisms, whether it's at school or at work, uh, to raise these issues where they appear. I mean, when I was a child, I was very badly bullied at school. Not here, but I was very badly bullied. And there were, <clears throat> there were no mechanisms to solve that. And I suffered in silence until my extremely shrewd father stepped in and sorted it with the headmaster. So there needs to be mechanisms, they need to be used. And as Shamil said earlier, if people feel that they're discriminated, they need to be able to feel that there is a way to express that and get it resolved. Because otherwise, it's going to fester. They're going to become, at work or at school, less engaged and therefore less successful. Thank you, Victor. Faith? Thank you. Actually, I, I echo what uh, Victor is saying. Really, um, where are the channels that a person who experiences discrimination at school uh, can use? Is it to the parents? And if the parents are open to listening, that's already a very good step forward. I mean, it helps to have an adult lens to it as well and to help explain issues, to help champion or push that issue with, with the headmaster, like in Victor's case. Um, then within the schools as well, um, it's, it's a, again, again boils down to trust, la, right? Um, trust as to that when you raise it, you are not brushed aside, that you are heard, I mean that you, people hear you out and, and take steps to address it. It may be that it's just a misunderstanding, 
is really not discrimination, but to have someone explain it to you clearly and to to I guess frame it in the frame it in a certain way or in a way that a kid understands, I think that's really helpful. La. I think I think for Tafet, um, we don't go down to the primary schools or secondary schools, but when it comes to graduating cohorts in the IHLs, we actually do um talks with them um, to also prepare them for uh, when they enter the workplace and, and, and to also be mindful that at the workplace when you're interacting with colleagues um, to be respectful uh, and, and all the issues that we talked about just now about discrimination. Yeah. Thanks, Faith. And finally, Shamil, you know from your ethnographic interviews with parents, kids, do you come across such stories? Um, I mean, not, not so much with uh, parents, but you know, um, you know, one thing that IPS does is actually we actually do a lot of uh, racial harmony day uh, kind of uh, presentations at schools to sort of uh, teach kids uh, about what is racism, what is uh, what is right and what is wrong. And you know, and this is something definitely I would normally uh, volunteer for, right? Because you know, obviously when I was in, in school as well, I mean, just like uh, what uh, Victor mentioned earlier, you know, people were trying to figure out whether I was Malay, whether I was Indian, and and all the different uh, sometimes very negative things that were attached to it, right? Uh, and you know, sometimes you try and figure out whether this is normal. After some time, I thought, oh, maybe it's normal that you know that we can say these words or about a particular uh, race or, 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 or religion, right? And it was only when I was much older uh, that, that I realized, oh, actually, this is not something that we can talk about, right? Um, and and you're right. I and mean, previously, there was not much of these things uh, in, in in schools. Uh, we just thought it's the, it was a norm, and that's why uh, today, if you know any school, usually if they, you know normally they will uh, email a Matthew. You know, I would sort of volunteer to to sort of uh, be there to sort of talk to these kids. You know, like what is right and what what is wrong, because it really begins there, right? It really begins there. I mean, newborns, as I realized recently, uh, are kind of color blind. They, they, they only see black and white, right, apparently. And only later on they see colour. They're literally colour blind and, and sort of learn and socialise uh, things about gender and race later on. So how do we protect the minds of our kids uh, from um, so-called negative meanings attached to race and how do we behave with one another? It's something that, you know, schools and parents should uh, sort of uh, uh, take really seriously. Yeah. Thanks, Shamil. And thanks to our panellists. I think it really goes to show that many of these things, you know, it's not just at the workplace or in schools, but many of the things that we talk about, these things like uh, making sure you communicate well enough, right, uh, to, to reduce instances of misunderstandings and misperceptions, these are important regardless of whether it takes place at schools or, uh, 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 you know, in workplaces. And that's where you help to reduce these uh, misunderstandings. Um, maybe I'll invite the lady in uh, black and then after that I'll go to the gentleman in green. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Uh, and I'm from Teaching Choling. We are a Buddhist community. Um, that's my volunteering job. So I'm, I'm a chairperson and a board member there. And my day job, I, I work for Microsoft. So I, I can relate to everything all of you say. And I'm very proud to, to be hearing it in this forum. So I would like to offer a perspective, then maybe a suggestion, right? So my first perspective is, um, Shamil said it right. Um, discrimination is not because of a minority. It's a number. It's how you people make you feel you are a minority or not. I like to bring the perspective that even the majority is a minority in the international context. The minute we stepped out of Singapore, whatever majority you think you are here today, you are not out there. Whatever the minority feels 
how they feel and all that. Trust me, we feel the same the minute we step out and have to face a wider community of the world. So just want to say that we share the same feeling uh, in context, in, in many space. Uh, so that's one thing that uh, I, I like to share. The second thing is DNI is big in a lot of MNCs. Uh, we are doing it from a um, structural way to bring awareness and cultivate. Same like what we are trying to do for Singapore. You know, first, you are human. Second, if you want to think, I think I like to call myself Singaporean first before anything else. And um, on top of the structure that the company has brought about, I like to share that uh, they do mindfulness, be aware, growth mindset, be ready to learn. Uh, diversity and inclusion, diversity is a fact. Inclusion comes the trick, how to. The how-to is where we uh, do a lot of thinking and rallying and forums and conferences. So in corporate, we are doing that. In my own Buddhist organization, we are doing that, bringing it back to the society as well. So there's one thing that we do extra is allyship. How do you uh, support the other person? Because everyone just wants to be accepted. If you're alone, it's a bit difficult. No one quite understand. If I can help a friend, a different race, a different religion, a different national, what does that mean? Uh, it's not easy, by the way. It's extremely difficult because the training that we have received sometimes make me feel, can I say this? Can I stand this way? Can I smile? So I got very nervous, you know, to bring that because I'm also a manager in the organization. Start from the top. The CEO is starting everything from the top. So. Accountability of cultural change is on the head a lot. Yeah, so that's, that's what I want to share, but to the panel, like, uh, would you consider allyship as one of the how? And how do you see that work? Thank you. Thank you so much, Joanne. Uh, you know, wearing both your hats in your corporate job and also you know, in your volunteering job, and I think sharing those very pertinent, very insightful points. We, D&I, she also spoke a bit about you know, how we can really try to be a bit more inclusive and also this whole concept about how uh, a majority is a minority in some form, you know, when they're in a, in a different context. So I'll invite quick comments from our panelists on what resonated with you, uh, starting with uh, Victor, Shamil, and then Faith. Victor? Well, I, I, I think, and thank you for the perspectives. Uh, it just underscores the fact of our, you know, our common humanity. And we have, to, we have to understand and see that as something that unites us. And if we take that point of view, we can then put ourselves in the other person's shoes and appreciate their perspectives or their concerns. Um, and yes, of course, we're all minorities. I'm the minority of the minorities in this country. Um, you know, I've been here more than half my life. I still meet fellow citizens who don't accept me as a Singaporean. Why? Because I wasn't born here. Or I'm not a member of the three majority races. I think that's sad. And I remind them that there's only one red passport, bro. Right? So, you know, we're, we can all be minorities, and you're right. 
And we can all feel, if we choose to feel, threatened because we're in an environment where we're not the majority. But I don't think that should worry us. I think we should keep our focus on our common humanity, realize that wherever we go in the world, we will meet the good, the bad, the indifferent, and from a behavioral perspective, the ugly, in any society, in any community, because we're all the same race. And I think this is what I meant in my earlier remarks when I say that we sometimes inadvertently overemphasize our obvious differences instead of celebrating them and emphasizing our common humanity. But thank you for sharing. Thanks. Thank you, Victor. Shamil? Um, thank you. Thank you again, uh, Joanne. Um, with regard to allyship, uh, you know, last time, uh, Matthew and me, we wrote an article against xenophobia uh, in the uh, newspapers uh, here. And after we wrote it, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, stuff online. You know, some people literally called me a kacang putih seller, uh, not a researcher. You know, they literally said that on, on, uh, on some uh, websites, right? Um, you know, like literally, uh, you know, using race as opposed to talking about, you know, the arguments that I and Matthew had uh, written. Um, and, 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 and there were many, right? But it was only those who, you know, those one or two or, or few people who actually said something, right, to sort of uh, cite me, for example, in the comments, uh, you know, sometimes it's all way negative, right? But one or two, three people said something to sort of support. And those people, those allies, really meant a lot, right? So, and, 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 and what is stopping us, for example, for being allies to our, our uh, fellow uh, workmates, right? And in, the, in, your, in your workplaces. You know, you don't have to wait for policies to, to, to be enacted or, or created. You can be literally nice. An example from, a, a really a good example from one of our um, um, projects, basically, uh, is when one of uh, a particular teacher actually shared um, a screen grab of someone literally translating uh, for her um, what was uh, being shared in a, in a language that she didn't understand, right? Her colleague basically translated the entire meeting, which was uh, done in a different language. Um, and she really appreciated this person. No one asked the person to do it, right? But this person in real time writing like, what the other person is saying, right? And these are allies, right? And, and I'm sure people in this room uh, agree that all of us can be allies to somebody without waiting for uh, policies to be uh, enacted, yeah. Thanks, Shamil. Faith? I, I really resonate with what Sham, Sham said, really that everyone in our individual capacity can be an ally. Um, it, it takes small things, right? Um, really that care um, for another person as a human being, and that can actually spur many good deeds lah, and, and positive deeds that actually make much big difference to the person who might be experiencing discrimination. Um, to take the allyship, argument a bit further. I think for TAFAP, we really see allies in community groups, for example, um, the different grassroots organizations, because we know that um, TAFAP maybe look, seems like a very um, uh, far away place, uh, maybe not so accessible to some, um, but at the community level, at the grassroots level, you, you know your members very well. Um, you know how to speak in the way that they could understand or appreciate. And that's where um, I would also ask that um, in this whole um, effort to address discrimination, I think the community and grassroots groups also do a lot. Uh, if you do come across uh, such cases or if your, your members bring such uh, issues to you, 
really um, talk them through. You can call Tafet uh, and maybe can also provide the advice. So really the allyship um, concept in a bigger context as well, I, I thought to, to raise it as well. Uh. Thanks. Thanks, Faith. And I think uh, she mentioned about the community and grassroots groups. Many of you here are there, and you can really make a big difference in your respective fields as well. Mindful of time, I'll just take the final question from gentleman in green. And does the lady in, uh, at the back also have a... Okay, I'll take the two, and then we'll wrap up the session. Yeah. Please. Right. The gentleman in green, my name is Nassim. I'm from OPSG. Nassim, hi. Finally nice to meet you in person. I've seen you online so many times. Mask, yeah. <laughs> and mask as well. Okay, I have two quick questions, and uh, the thing is, I must uh, congratulate uh, the panelists because uh, 10 years ago, uh, we wanted to talk about these things. I think the climate was not right. People don't talk about this openly. So I have two quick ones, and the responses, I, you know, Shamil, you said this, and it actually struck me. What is the thing? Whether it is true or not, it's not the point. From a soci sociological point of view, if you believe something is like that, then it matters. Uh, for me, because the uh, surveys comes with uh, findings, so if, say, you have some of the facts and the truth, if it is there, then people are not convinced. Uh, just like some people talk about fake news, then fake news is power. So people like us in the ground who are practitioners who want to do things to make a difference, from a sociological point of view, what will make researchers think that it's a valid point? And the reason why I bring up is, you subtly talked about the Malay tutors. If you have five tutors, if three tutors say they had a good experience, it's 60%. If uh, four tutors say it's bad experience, it's 80%. So it looks at that point. So the, the reason why I bring that up is that practitioners also want to feel that if you want to do something about it, how does it matter in the future? Because you'll come to a point where whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Because when the minority feels that way, that's the way. Okay, the second point is to Victor. Um, you know, private sectors always talk about bottom line. You tell an employer, they say, inclusive practice, non-discriminatory policy, they will say, hey, I want to make money, otherwise it close down. What will incentivize private sectors and companies? And I know you did say chamber doesn't have that kind of impact, but you have influence to say that it actually matters to have these things from a can-have to a must-have. Because right now it's can-have. If you don't do it, I still make money. Okay, la, Tafeb is there. Okay, you do something, I still carry on. What is the incentive from a business point of view to say, Hey, that you have inclusive practices, you become prosperous, everybody become prosperous. Because for the fact, for the longest time, when you talk about all these things, you talk about public institutions, some people talk about schools, we talk about community organizations, but one of the sectors is the business sector, which seems to think that, look, bottom line matters. I want to make money, this is the way, this is a can-have, don't tell me that you must, must have. What will be your uh, advice after being a Singaporean and 37 years in the business? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Nassim. Thank you for those great comments and questions. I'll invite the lady at the back to uh, make her comment or question, then we can take a final round of comments from our panelists. 
Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Sana. I'll be matriculating into my first year of National University this coming fall. Uh, what I want to say is that the perpetration of like discrimination is a result of uh, not only like the employer's implicit biases, but also as a result of like the employee's own internalized racism or sexism. Having experienced such microaggressions for pretty much all their life, right, minorities tend to internalize and normalize these, and the cycle continues. So my question to the panelists is, what else can Singapore do to tackle not only employer practices, but also such employee beliefs, so that the cycle can eventually be broken? How can we get employers, employees to identify discrimination and be willing and able to report it? How do we get them to know that such channels of reporting are available? And finally, how do we get them to believe that such reporting will not result in adverse consequences for their current and future job prospects? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your great question. Now, invite quick replies from the panelists. Uh, maybe we start off with Victor, Shamil, and then we end off with Faith Online. Okay. So... The gentleman asked, uh, what's going to make uh, a business take this whole notion of positive workplace culture that I've been advocating, take it seriously? It really, it boils down to improving that bottom line. So there's, there's no altruism in this. It's sure, sheer commercial success. Every business will say their greatest asset is their people. Most actually don't mean it, but they still say it. But my, my invitation is that they should put their money where their mouth is and realize that it's a simple equation. Happy, engaged teams equal happy, repeat customers equal sustained commercial success. And the good news is that particularly younger members of the workforce are simply not going to accept the kind of nonsense that people of my generation accepted because we felt there was no other option. You know, when I joined the workforce more than 40 years ago, you were lucky and you felt lucky to have a job and that was it and you put up with a lot. Nowadays, young people are not going to do that. They're just not. And that's entirely a good thing. So there's a good push factor from younger people, but there's overwhelmingly a push factor from the bosses deciding, we got to do what it takes to be commercially successful. And this is now what we've got to do. We've got to look after our people, enable them, engage them in order for our business and for them to excel. In answer to the young lady's question, um, really, the answer is everybody collaborating in a business and taking responsibility to co-create and co-sustain the kind of workplace environment that makes sense for them and the business they're in. I would say that there is no one size fits all. Depends what business you're in, um, what your needs are, what your people need, and that's why it's flexible enough to cover all those variables. Really, if we're serious about progressing, if we're serious about a more equal, more successful, more happy society and workforce, then we have to work. And everybody's got a role to play, not the boss alone, but everybody in a business.
Thanks. Thank you, Victor. Shamir, your quick thoughts to those questions. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mr. Nassim. Um, with regard to, you know, what I said earlier, with regard to, um, you know, some sociologists would say that, uh, you know, whether a thing is true or not, whether it's something real or not, does not matter. And, and in the mat what matters is people believe in, in, in those things, right? For example, race, for example. People believe in race, for example, and act upon their belief of those race, or, for example, a stereotype, right? Um, now, of course, there's also fake news, yeah, as you rightly pointed out. Um, but as uh, also what Matthew's uh, survey has shown, right, there's a sizable number of people who actually believe um, that they have been discriminated. Um, now, whether or not they have been discriminated can be done in another uh, particular uh, research, right, where we can figure out whether they have uh, been really discriminated or not and, and invest money and do that kind of research. But my question is, what if we don't address these people who, who feel that they've been discriminated, right, and, and this large proportion now um, uh, who feel they, don't, they, they, they are discriminated? What if we don't sort of address their concerns, right? I mean, during this pandemic, you know, which is something like a disclosing tablet, right, we kind of see, you know, what's happening and what what's good and what's perhaps what's negative uh, in, on a societal um, level. And we see a lot of people want to talk about it online um, because perhaps they have not found the, the kind of avenues um, offline, right? Uh, and they decide to go online uh, and, and they want to be sort of heard, right? How do we address these people? They might, they might be wrong. I mean, they might not say the truth. I'm, I'm not sure, right? But how do we address them? Do we ignore them? Um, you know, do we, do we sort of, or do we engage them um, via dialogue? And this goes to the second person's uh, uh, question. It's actually dialogue, right? How, how do we have dialogue? And dialogue is not a debate. There's no winner or loser. Dialogue is learning, the, creating the human connection, having that kind of uh, humility to be wrong, for example, right? To be wrong, possibly wrong, and the tenacity to make a, tenacity to make a statement, uh, to have a stand, right? To be wrong, humility, and to have a stand via tenacity, right? Um, so dialogue, we have to have uh, dialogue. Of course, dialogue, they can be moderated in by a very, uh, a very responsible uh, moderator. But dialogue, I think, is at the core of uh, um, uh, the solution, actually. Thanks, Shamil. And finally, Faith, your quick thoughts to wrap up today's discussion. Over to you. Thank you very much. I thought I just wanted to echo the point that actually being progressive actually makes business sense. In Singapore, where it's a tight labour market, and, and as, as Victor pointed out, the younger generation go by their values, right? And they will choose and make choices of their employers or who they work for, the workplaces they want um, by leaving and, and finding something else. So, so I think that's something that employers today have to keep in mind. It's like COVID, right? Um, in the past, it was always work from office. This part about work from office will not come back again, I think. COVID has changed that. So similarly, I think for progressive workplaces, it's something that we need to strive towards and it makes business sense. The other point I just wanted to quickly make is that Tafet is there for both, sorry, this is a marketing spiel, but Tafet is really there for both um, employers as well as the folks who feel like they're discriminated. Not, not, maybe it's not discrimination, it's not substantiated later, but even if they feel like it, um, come to Tafet. I think we hear you out. Uh, we can offer advice and assistance. And as I said just now, uh, we really rely also on the community and grassroots to make um, TAFAP known to, the, to, to, to your members um, so that there is that channel for them. Our marketing campaigns can only go so far, but really that word of mouth or um, for someone who's a respected leader in your community to speak about it and point to TAFAP, really that, that really helps and makes much of a difference. So thank you very much. 
Thanks so much, Faith, for ending us off on that very positive tone of a progressive workplaces. And no apologies re-promoting Tafep. Today, you have a very uh, 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 lively audience here of 200 who will be your advocates for the very good work that you are doing at Tafep. So that's the final question, and we've come to the end of our panel discussion. Thank you to our three panelists for your time today, for sharing your views very candidly. I think our audience will agree that the three of you each provided very interesting perspectives from your respective portfolios and experiences, and collectively, you helped add a lot of depth, texture, richness to our panel discussion. So may I invite everyone once again to give our panelists a very warm round of applause to thank them. And many thanks, too, to our audience members for your insightful comments and questions. It was a privilege to be your moderator for today's session. With that, we've come to the end of the panel discussion, and I'll hand over to the organizers uh, to take over from here. Apologies that we ran over time. <laughs>